We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are you ready for rapid fire? Yes, I am. Let's do it then. All right. I see this post by David that we'll get to here in a minute as well. We talked about that last night. But Marcus Freeman is now 2-3 and three as a head coach. So my question is, which milestone number will Freeman get to first in his career? 30 wins or 12 losses? This, you know, I'm crazy about the numbers. So I was running a lot of different scenarios in my head looking at this. And what I came up to is, you know, that's a two and a half t- multiplier, meaning that, you know, 12 is two and a half to get to 30. And so and I started looking at, okay, how does that translate to records? He could go eight and four these first three seasons, assuming, you know, he coaches three seasons and he would be at 12 losses and 24 wins. Okay. Then you step it up to a nine and three average, 27 wins and nine losses. And so you're kind of in that range of he's got to win eight to nine to 10 per year and lose probably no more than four. And he's already got two this year and it's the first year and he's got a couple of hard games left. Um, I'm unfortunately going to have to say that it, it's going to be close, but Oh man, <laughs> this is, I, uh, I think he's going to get, I think he's going to get to 30 wins by like one game. Like it's going to be <laughs> very close in the, I think it's going to come down to like, if he wins this game, he's at 30. And if he does it, if he loses, he's at 12, but at like 29 wins, like it's going to be right on the dot close. So you're telling me that I picked the numbers correctly. <laughs> yeah, is what you you're did. saying. You I did, made it hard. I, Right? I think after this year, you know, he's got I, I think this year in somewhere around eight and four, nine and four. And so those next two years, I think he's got, you know, the, uh, he's got the foundation set. He's we know about these good recruiting classes. I think that this will be his worst year and the rest are better. And so this year is, you know, kind of what I just said, eight and four, nine and four. Then I think he just barely gets it. But that's where I'm at. Thirty just barely like by a nose hair. So here is the history of this question. Rutgers head coach Greg Schiano came into the season with a career record of 76 and 81. And I heard this on some national show that he's got a 76 and 81 record. And the question they asked is, does Schiano get to 100 wins 
or 100 losses first? And I was like, ooh, that's an interesting little question <laughs> there. And, I mean, he's at Rutgers, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And, by the way, Rutgers is 3-1 and one this season, so he is now 79-82 and 82 for his career. So, you know, he's actually, you know, he's getting closer to 500, but he's got Ohio State coming up this weekend. But anyway, so I hear that question, and then I spun it forward to Marcus Freeman, who at the time that I heard this question, because this was coming into the season, he only had Fiesta under his belt. And so I'm starting to think about, okay, where do I set the numbers for Freeman? And, you know, I'm kind of all over the place with him because at that point, everyone is still pie in the sky. And, you know, the sky is the limit for Marcus Freeman. He's going to come in and, you know, maybe they lose to Ohio State, but they're going to steamroll through this season and, and be in playoff contention. And obviously, you know, it was time to pump the brakes on that pretty quickly. But so, you know, I had actually set the win total pretty high. Like, I think 45 was my starting point coming in to the season. And then, you know, again, it's like you lose a couple games and I think you have to adjust it a little bit. And, you know, they're they're 0-2, obviously. But now they've won their last two. And it seemed like kind of a good time to bring it back up. So as to my answer, if my math is correct <laughs> – 30 wins in 42 tries, that's a 741 winning percentage, right? Like right. 71%, 714 basically. Like you compare that, I think Brian Kelly has like a 740 winning percentage. Nick Saban is a like an outrageous 80%, 800. And, you know, you kind of went through it. You know, like if, if they're around nine wins, you know, going nine and three, taking out the bowl games, you know, like, if they go nine and three the next couple of years, if they're able to to be kind of in that eight nine win range this season, he'd be around twenty seven and ten. You know, and again, it's like they're they're going to be pretty close. And you know, let's say he goes two and one in the bowl games, and then where are you? I think you said this twenty nine and eleven. You know, so it's like <laughs> it's going to be right there. That's exactly right. It, it should be right there, and that's saying that he has three average seasons. But like you said. The recruiting is getting better. You're going to, you know, continue to see, you know, more, you know, you know, bigger caliber recruits and athletes and stuff coming in. So I am going to say 30 wins as well. I think that, uh, you know, that's that's kind of it. it I, I don't think it's even overly optimistic. I think it's going to be really close, but I think that that he ends up getting there before the 12 losses. I'll even go so far to say if they beat USC and Clemson this year, I will 100% say he gets to 30. If they beat Clemson? Okay. Yeah. And USC. Then, and yeah. USC. Oh, yeah. Yeah, obviously. Because that obviously is going to swing things. Uh, and then, you know, Shaitan says uh, 45 would be wonderful, but too optimistic. And again, that was the number coming into the season before they had ever, you know, played <laughs> another game. And, you know, I, I was I was obviously kind of sitting on it to sort of, see how things went, and then had to make an adjustment. Apparently, Derek thinks that they are just going to rip off. We are in <laughs> ga- the two-game. It's not even going to be close. <laughs> yeah, the 30-game win streak has started. And we're two games in, only 28 more to go. That's right. That's right. Yeah. All right, I want to know Drunk Vigo's opinion. Vigo in, says drinking the Kool-Aid again, bro. So where are you? Are, are you saying 12 losses? Is that where it is? Is that where it is, Vigo? We'll see. I don't know. It'll pop up. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So we had some uh, some comments about the question we brought up last night about J.D. Bertrand. David says, if Marcus Freeman doesn't appeal J.D.'s targeting call, it's a major mistake, sends the message that he may not have, have the players' backs as much as he leads us to believe. <laughs> Do you think that he needs to appeal this, you know, to kind of show that he does have the players' back in all this, Jess? Or or, or, or do you, what do you think? I mean, we're... We, we're both in agreement that it it was that what happened with JD Bertrand did not warrant targeting and ejection. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean we kind of I kind of lightly touched on this a little bit yesterday. I didn't like Freeman initially coming out in his press conference saying that, you know, it was JD's fault and it was targeting. It's like you haven't seen it yet. Most coaches say I got to look at the film or we'll look at that in the film, you know, that kind of situation and so I, I thought that it was, yeah, I didn't like it. I didn't like that he didn't just, you know, take his players back. I don't think you have to blatantly be like, oh, you don't have to take either side. You know, you don't have to say, oh, definitely it wasn't targeting or it wasn't. But I wouldn't say that it, it definitely was at, at, without saying, okay, I'm going to go take, take a look back and we'll talk about it and kind of sit down with him and, you know, see what we can do to kind of further tweak things. So yeah. I definitely think it, it kind of shows – uh, and not that he doesn't trust or believe in his players, but it can come off at, like that in this situation if this if this is how you know it plays out and, and continues to be handled. I just think that it's close enough that you know again, like Marcus Freeman made the comments that he made that it was targeting without being able to sit down and watch the film. If he sat down and watched it, I think that it's close enough that it is worth appealing, especially if you know this is one of your starting linebackers. It is worth the shot. To an appeal. It's not like you get one appeal and you're never allowed to appeal these things again. You know, it's not like a replay challenge or something. You have nothing to lose by appealing this. Now, you can still do the things that he was talking about, work with JD Bertrand if you think that he needs to have better tackling form and, you know, all this different stuff so that he's not putting himself putting himself into those situations. You know, the the cow targeting was much more clear you know oh, he, yeah. he he and launched stupid. himself and yeah he launched himself the ball was pat you know the whole thing 
that was that was a lot different than this one. Stymie says, instead of an appeal, I'd rather see a concerted effort in the offseason to change slash update the rule. No ejection if no malicious content, uh, intent. And I've said this all along. I think that the targeting rule in college is stupid. It is somewhat well-intended because the idea behind it is if you eject a player, then you are, you know, you're trying to retrain him, you know, kind of, you know, again, what Marcus Freeman was talking about, you're trying to get him to change the way he's doing things. So he's not going to do it again. It's very rare that you see a player two weeks in a row get ejected, you know, for, for targeting for the same thing. But I've always said the way I'd like to see the rule changed is if you get flagged for targeting first time, it's just a personal foul. If you get flagged a second time in the same game, then it's an ejection. No matter what. Yeah, no matter what. You know, intent, whatever. If they determine it's targeting, then it's an ejection. I just I, I don't think that I don't I don't think that ejecting a player on the first instance is is warranted. Yeah, and I think every targeting case should be reviewed after every game to decide if if uh ejection was warranted. Um and I think I'm okay with if you know having to leave the game or whatever. Uh, if that's the route they decide to go. But I think that if, uh, and if every targeting call like that should be sat down and looked at after the game as well to determine if the suspension needs to carry into the next game or if that just the, you know, wh- however much time that they had to miss in, in the current game was was enough. So right. that's if they're going to stick with this rule, I think that that's the amendment that I would have to see. Right. Fill in the blank. It's blank that former Notre Dame cornerback Sean Crawford tweeted this the other day. Quote, 12-team playoff is really unnecessary, unquote. Now, there's Uh, no context to this, but what do you think, Jess? (laughs) I mean, it's absolutely true. I think that the 12-team format uh, is just another, honestly, money grab because it's just going to create more games and more watched, you know, this and that. And I, I'm on board with we're just going to see, you know, some crappy matchups in the first round. You know, maybe, maybe we'll see, you know, a Cinderella here or there. But I really don't think that it's going to happen to me. Uh, the perfect number was eight, four, and then, you know, your championship game after that. So I think 12 is too many. I would have preferred eight. Um, I definitely think that we needed more than four, but I think 12 is too many. So I, I absolutely agree that it's um, completely unnecessary to have a 12 team playoff. Now, again, no context, but if you apply it to Notre Dame, you know, one, to what you were talking about, that you're not going to get good matchups. I think you'll actually get better matchups in the first round than you're going to get, you know, than what you have right now when you look at at these, you know, every year there's at least one lopsided game in the college football playoff. It's not just when Notre Dame is involved, you, you know. So I think you're going to get better uh, matchups in the playoffs, you're going to get more teams involved, which I think is good for the sport. You know, you're not just going to have the same teams over and over again with this four-team pool. And from Notre Dame's perspective, you know, this is this is very good for Notre Dame. A 12-team format is very good for Notre Dame. It's this is what's going to let them. This is what's going to allow them to not have to join the Big Ten. You know, to stay independent going forward. The Big Ten or any other conference. And like, if you look at it for this year, there's actually a scenario where Notre Dame could find itself back. You know, if there was a 12 team format this year where they could find themselves in the playoff picture, you know, if they run the table, because just on its face, right. You know, and you might kind of scoff at that, you know, well, the way they've played and this and that, well, 
if they don't lose to Marshall, they're a top 10 team still right now, or at the very worst sitting there at 11 or 12, and they're in the playoff mix right now, you know? So there's, there's something still to play for if, if there was a 12 team playoff format. So I don't mind it. I would like it. Good thing that we can have differing opinions. That's why we do this, right? <laughs> You're allowed to have yours. I'm allowed to have mine. Fill in the blank. It's blank that the ACC has reportedly suspended the side judge who flagged Cal for being offside on that field goal attempt against Notre Dame. The ACC apologized to Cal and admitted it was a bad call. Uh, it's unfortunate, but it's appropriate. Uh, it's unfortunate because it happened to Cal, and I think the worst thing you want to hear afterwards is, hey, we messed up. We know we messed up, but you can't go back and change anything. So I think that kind of festers uh, even more. And I think the the fact that, you know, it's it's unfortunate because it happens to, to everyone. You know, there was last night. I hate to be, you know, bring up the Cowboys so much, but <laughs> their wide receiver got but tackled in the end zone <laughs> and no flag was thrown. But I still had to live through that. You know, that's a potential, you know, first and 10 at the one yard line. And they're just going to punch the ball four straight times in, in behind their offensive line. So, and I another really, receiver gets held at the line of scrimmage by two defenders and no call. Right, and so I think that it's yeah, it's it's unfortunate, but it was the appropriate call. Like there wasn't an offside. So uh, to me, it just sucks. And as a Cal fan, I would hate to hear it. Player, coach, like that was obviously seven points put on the board. Or sorry a four point swing at most and maybe a seven point swing because with group, you don't even know if he's going to make the field goals. Yeah. It's appropriate that you started talking about the giants game because Michael started chiming in about <laughs> saying that it was, it's hypocritical that they apologized for uh, the call that uh, went against um, Cal. Uh, uh, now, now he says the offensive, P.I. at the end of the first half. Was You're talking about where the, the guy who jumped, actively jumped into the Cowboys DB. But the point is, I, <laughs> I, I think he makes a good point. because you know, and, it, and it really goes back to your point. Because whether it's flagging Cal for being offside on that play, there were obviously other missed calls in that game. They didn't just go in Notre Dame's favor. you know. And, and I think you can say that in any game. There are always going to be missed calls so you know the ACC you know they they ate it they apologized to Cal whatever doesn't matter it's not like they're going to go back and change the result of the game after the fact but they're eating it off off this you know are they going to apologize to Notre Dame for not reviewing those two pass plays that at least <laughs> one of them should have been incomplete no they're not going to apologize to Notre Dame for that so I don't know why you bother apologizing just just be you know it's you. You're just picking where you where you want to, you know, make the acknowledgement. I don't so understand. Are you? Know. you I, this is a question because this has come up a lot uh, in kind of what what happened with the Chris Jones penalty against the Colts the other night. I think just like MLB or yeah, MLB umpires, referees should be held to not question, but what their logic was. Sometimes, like there should be an, a rationale for why they made calls, especially calls that are altering game-changing calls like that, um, in my opinion. I don't think you necessarily need to apologize or maybe you know say that you were wrong, but I would like to under understand the rationale in some instances, I guess. No, I agree. that makes sense. 
I agree. I, I, I think that when you get some of these controversial calls that an official should be made to answer questions. And I know that, that there are instances where there is a designated, you know, member of the media, you know, like pool reporter. It, <laughs> it's like a one-on-one thing. They don't actually have to stand up in front of a press conference, but they do from time to time, you know, answer questions, but it's not, you know, with the camera on them and, and that kind of stuff like a coach or a player has to do when they make a mistake. I, you know, the officials have impact on the game and they get paid, you know, they're, are, are they getting rich? Probably not, but they get paid good money. And these guys all have other jobs as well. And I think that they should be uh, held accountable and made to answer some of these questions, just like the athletes and the coaches have to. Yep. Fill in the blank. It's blank that Fox apparently had a no signs about Urban Meyer policy <laughs> when they were on location for this past uh, Saturday's game at Michigan. It's weak. Capital W-E-A-K. You know, these guys make millions of dollars, okay? They they, they sit out and they get to be at the most gorgeous campuses and, and, and you know, be around the sport of college football every Saturday. Um, and you can't tell me that a little sign is going to hurt anyone's feelings because there's signs about everyone out there. There's signs about coaches, players, you know, you name it. The most random people will just get called out with signs on game day. You never know what's coming. So I think it's weak and it has to be a, a direct uh, request from Urban Meyer. And I think it shows his fragileness um, yep. as a man, I, I think, is is what it comes down to. Yeah. I mean, they had no problem hiring this guy back. You know, despite the baggage they knew was going to come with him the whole time, you know, that goes back to that bar in Columbus with the girl last year. And I think them playing him in Ann Arbor, that's what it's, you know, they were all worried about it because obviously, you know, all the Michigan fans and his Ohio State connection and all that. And Fox tried to come back and say, well, we don't have a specific policy about no Meyer, you know, <laughs> Urban Meyer signs and all this stuff, you know, the PR people. But they were confiscating Urban Meyer signs before the show you know they hired a scumbag and they don't want anyone reminding everyone else of that during their own broadcasts on tv so yeah it is what it is if you're gonna if you're gonna bring this kind of guy back you got to live with what comes with it and people are gonna have fun with it and that's really all it is is fun and if urban meyer can't hack it he shouldn't be on tv you know i think it, it kind of goes to, both I ways i bet urban was like hey i'm gonna maybe request this in my new contract and Fox maybe like, he did Hey, that's a good idea, and it helps with our, you know, our picture and our overall product. So it's a win-win for everyone. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right, the NFL is replacing the Pro Bowl with what they call the Pro Bowl Games. It's a week-long skills competition that'll culminate with a flag football game. Do you buy it or do you sell it? I buy it like ten times over. I think this is a great idea for the NFL. I think that all major sports teams should get away uh, from, you know, ML, all-star games in general. I think the only one that I actually enjoy is the MLB all-star game. And that one still kind of has, you know, not lackluster, but it's not obviously the most exciting thing, uh, 100% of the game. And I think it, it makes the most sense for football just for the obvious reasons. It's the most physical. It's the highest chance of injury. You know, guys you don't, don't want to be there. Yeah, guys <laughs> don't want to be there. You don't want a guy tear your franchise defensive end tearing his ACL. You know, you saw Sterling Shepard last night completely tear his ACL in a, a non-contact yeah. injury. So why provide another 
you know, opportunity for that kind of stuff to happen. I think it's more fun. You can get more fan involvement, which make in turn would probably increase attractiveness and interest uh, for the players. So I, I like this. I, I'm curious. I think that this this is a big moment for them because you can do so many just fun different competitions here. Like it, this is this is I think good for them, and I think they need to capitalize on this. Uh, situation that they're about to embark on and you, you know who's going to be involved in it omaha productions <laughs> owned by the Nothing. one and only peyton manning that's right that's right peyton's got a hand in this you know they're going to be you know they're, they're going to have a role in this i like it you know i week long i don't know but i guess they can boil it down and again like turn it into a tv show basically and I, that this is i Again, this is like something that I've said they should do. The flag football game, I was a little surprised by that they're actually going to play a flag <laughs> football game at the end of it. It's just I like a glorified this. seven on seven. Yeah, I like the skills competition, though. You know, there's a lot of different stuff you could do. You know, like I would actually like to see an offensive lineman hundred yard dash competition, <laughs> for example. You know, like have them do have them do things that are that are sort of the opposite of what you envision them, you know, doing well. You know, the offensive lineman doing that and then have the wide receivers, you know, put 225 on the bar and and you know, like you can do that with everybody, but I like it. I I think it's going to be cool. I'm going to be really curious to see like what the skills competition turns into. I, I think it's going to be a lot better because the Pro Bowl itself, which had been around since 1951, but the game itself is just like fewer and fewer people watching all the time. And I'm sure the union had something to do with it. And they're like, look, we don't want to risk going out there and getting hurt in a game that doesn't matter. So I, I think this is really interesting and, and uh, they can make it pretty fun, you know, like an obstacle course, you know, do those kind of things. You know, like I think there's a lot of different things that they can do with this. So I like it. Best offensive line touchdown celebration. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Or, uh, you know, Quentin Nelson can lead the keg stands out there for that matter. <laughs> With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Fill in the blank on this next one. C.D. Lamb, talked about this earlier, dropped what would have been at least a 50-yard pass last night against the Giants. He was smiling and tapping himself on the chest, you know, kind of saying it's on me, you know, that kind of thing after the play. It's blank when you see players smiling after those kind of plays. I don't remember if I texted you my feelings about this after uh, after it happened. I don't think you did. I don't think I must have been too caught up with the enrage that I had (laughs) in the moment. Just I you know, I told you I I hosted some people till about halftime last night. Just ask the people in the room. How many f bombs I dropped when I saw him smiling? That was just so ridiculous. Like, I understand the tapping yourself on the chest, okay? Yeah, but like the smiling and kind of like laughing, like, dude, you just dropped a very important pass in which you know this offense doesn't hit big pass plays. It's not designed to hit big pass plays at the moment, and for you to just drop the ball and, and, and you know, 
oh, and then smile about it. I was so infuriated. But Michael Hahn brings up a good point. It, it seemed to really get to him because after the Giants scored, it, it motivated him. He lamb drive and he caught just about everything. So I don't know if that was the fire that he needed because he hasn't been great this season. In all honesty, I don't no, know. He hasn't. He this hasn't. was that, that drop. My fantasy football the, team knows it too. <laughs> was the cherry on top. So I, uh, I, I think it, it, it did fire him up. And I joked, I joked with my friends and said, I sent him a text at halftime and said, Noah Brown was better or, you know, he needs to step it up because Noah Brown had been playing better than CD lamb. So uh, I, I, I absolutely hate when players smile or laugh after they make a big mistake. I think it's it's absolutely crazy and it drives me crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's annoying to see, you know, like when you see a player smile like that. But, I get, you know, again, it's like he's a professional athlete. And what's he going to do? You know, like literally beat himself up and kill himself on the field because he dropped a ball. I think that's almost all you can do sometimes is just smile and, and put it on. Like Michael said, he made up for it later. If he hadn't made up for it later, I think this would be a bigger issue because oh, yeah. I, I saw Ed Werder, you know, tweeted about the fact that he was smiling after the fact. It definitely drives you nuts, though. Like when you, you know, a big play like that, and it's an easy catch. It's just like a little, it's like a little alligator or, you know, like pterodactyl arms or whatever. It's just like catch the ball. It literally hit him right in the hands in stride. It, you know, you couldn't have thrown a much better pass, especially if your name is Cooper Rush. <laughs> You know, so it's it's very annoying to see them smile like that, you know. But you know, like we you, fans obviously get a lot more invested, I think. But he did make up for it later, you know, both with the physical um, catch and run that he had that that had better be on angry runs on Good Morning Football coming up tomorrow, <laughs> and also with that one-handed touchdown catch that he made. On the next, on the next, isn't play. it insane that he could drop that pass? But I know, then go on to just make that insanely ridiculous one hand. It uh, just catch. it, it, but it, it shows you there's a lack of focus. It's just concentration. Know? Yeah, that's exactly it. If if you can make that kind of spectacular play, you've got to be able to make those routine plays. Concentration, focus. That's all it is. I like the uh, we're getting the Brian NY uh, Clemson Wake Forest ESPN special. Yes, uh, right now we're getting, we're getting, we're getting cut-ins in that. the chat. We're getting Aaron Judge cut-ins in the chat. At least we don't the, uh... listen to it, though. We're just <laughs> seeing the the count flash up. So I guess I am grateful that this is way less invasive, but I still know what's going on. Right. So speaking of that game last night, a New York Giants fan painted his bald head in the fashion of a Giants helmet for last night's game. He was in the stands, and you could see him there, and they kept cutting over to him his whole head including his face was painted blue and then he had a red stripe from his chin you know right down the middle to the back of his head and he had the uh the old school ny on the side my question is have you ever thought about painting your face when you go to a game <laughs> i have never ever thought about going full face paint i'm okay with putting a you know maybe painting on a little shamrock here or putting a little you know leprechaun here that's fine but when we're talking whole face like okay I'll, I'll be the first one to admit it i've done you know the little face mask before with my girlfriend where you you put all the stuff on and then you let it dry and you peel uh -huh. it off that to me is very similar in the fact and i hate it it's so itchy it's uncomfortable you feel like you're, if you can't touch your face like all of it so there's no chance i would do it and i thought there was a couple funny things uh when i saw it that kind of popped up that made me chuggle the first one was you know i saw someone tweet 
Think about driving home after this game. It's like 12 o'clock in the morning, and you look over next to you at the stoplight, and you see this crazy man with their face painted. Like, what are you What are you to think? What are you to expect? And then the second one was my good friend off of Arrested Development. Uh, I thought of that one as well, where he has his entire face uh, painted blue. So there He's was a the couple. Blue man. Yeah, so there was a couple good ch- like uh, chuckles I got out of the situation, but there's no way that I would be doing that uh, ever, to be honest with you. <laughs> there's an episode of Seinfeld that's actually titled "The Face Painter." I don't know if you remember that one. It's David Putty, Elaine's boyfriend, Putty, and uh, they're going to a New Jersey Devils game, and he paints his face, and he's you know got to support the team. And uh, that whole thing, there was a whole episode dedicated to it. knows it too, I guess. I think you guys could be bros. Oh, there he is. There he is. Drunk Vigo is in on it. Putty painted his face <laughs> in Seinfeld. That's exactly, exactly exactly, right. I've never done that. The closest thing I've ever come is uh, way back when uh, a friend of mine and I, for Halloween, we uh, the the uh, the road warriors, the old professional wrestlers, the tag team duo, Hawk and Animal. We painted our face like we were Hawk and Animal for uh, for Halloween. That's the closest I've ever come, though. So <laughs> it's just so itchy it. and uncomfortable. That's, yeah, because you're right. Because like you would be feeling it all night, and I would want to be doing yes, this, and, and then all of a can. sudden you're rubbing paint off it, you know, and then you got it on your hands. It's the worst. I know. It is the worst. I know. I could not. Could not even imagine. All right. Well, that's going to do it for tonight. Vince is going to be in for the mailbag show tomorrow. Appreciate you as always, Jesse, repping repping the Cowboys, which is good. Final note. I left with a good final note yesterday. Irish Shytown, you asked me what the score was going to be. I said 23 (laughs) to 13. I'm not a boomer. I'm not a boomer, Vigo. (laughs) Just because I have gray hair, I am not a boomer. Okay. So let's get that straight. All right. (laughs) <laughs> couldn't be friends with boomers that's tough that's tough on you i feel like sean is intentionally avoiding a kiss concert <laughs> story i've never been to a kiss concert although i would have liked to you know back in the uh the heyday i would have done that rock and roll all night party every day all right well that's going to do it for tonight again smash that like button if you would on your way out subscribe rate review all the great stuff and uh, Chi-Town said, Jesse, I told Even my father. Even got the touchdowns right. Zeke yep. and Lamb. That's all I'm going to say. We got to get going. You were you were right because what did it what did it end up being? 20... <laughs> 23 to 16. I said final score would be 23 to 23 13. 13. And I said yeah. Zeke and Lamb would score. And both of those things happened. So yep. I was just shooting from the yep. hip, Irish Chi-Town. That just shows you how I'm ready at any <laughs> given time. That's right. Ready to go. All right. We'll talk to you later. IB Nation Sports Talk. See you guys.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.